Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. You can view the live stream on Facebook at Mother Miriam Live. Now, here's Mother Miriam. Good afternoon, beloved family. How are you? Blessed, blessed feast of Our Lady of Guadalupe today. And Our Lady of Guadalupe is the lady of our religious community. So it's a first-class first feast for us. Very, very special. Um, it's a very special day for us, for um, all who love Our Lady of Guadalupe. And uh, she is the Immaculate Conception. She is Our Lady of Fatima. I, I sometimes say that... Uh, Our Lady is a Jewish mother who shows up all over the world in different outfits. (laughs) But today is a very special day um, of Our Lady of Guadalupe, who appeared in 1531 on Tepeyac Hill. Um, And I want to read you the summation of that story um, from uh, the Denver Catholic of just a few years ago. And they titled it, The Miracle That Changed History. so many stories, so many renditions of this magnificent story. It would take us a couple of hours if we went through the whole thing. But this article begins that before the arrival of the Spanish conquistadors to the American continent, the residents of, now I'm not going to be able to pronounce those Mexican names, Tenochtitlan, modern-day Mexico, and if you know the correct pronunciation, bless you, um, but it's modern-day Mexico City. It had strong polytheistic beliefs that completely guided their lifestyle. In other words, there were many gods. Um, Tenochtitlan was the center of religious worship for the Aztecs. According to their beliefs, they had to offer human blood to their god, small g, in order to keep the sun moving across the sky and preserve their very lives. Otherwise, the world would end. It's interesting, as we went to uh, Holy Mass this morning, the priest mentioned the significance of blood. And we know, as Catholics, the significance of blood. It's the very lifeline. And the Mexicans knew it was the most precious uh, part of life. Um, Back in uh, Leviticus, our Lord said to the Hebrew people, um, the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls, because it is the blood by reason of the life that makes atonement. Um, Leviticus chapter 7, and so the Mexicans knew that the blood was the most valuable part of life. And after the conquest, the Spanish imposed the Catholic religion And over time, they changed the Aztecs' lifestyle and traditions. However, the biggest challenge was to establish Christianity as the sole and dominant religion. You can't impose a religion on a people. Um, The differences between um, indigenous advocates, the colonizers, and the rulers when trying to convert the indigenous triggered conflicts within the church and frequent confrontations. You can't go and force a religion on people. Since they were often treated violently, many Aztecs 
did not trust the Spaniards and did not want anything from them. Neither would I at that point. The situation was only getting worse. They were in the midst of a deep crisis and on the verge of despair. The world had not yet ended after the interruption of the human sacrifices as they believed they had lost control of their land. They suffered from new illnesses and humiliations, and they felt betrayed by their gods. And I don't know if you've ever seen, beloved, I have some videos where they actually um, were cutting the hearts out of human beings, human sacrifices, just awful. Around 1524, the first indigenous families to receive baptism by the Franciscan missionaries emerged. Among these families was Juan Diego, I will never pronounce his last name, Cotlatotzin, I can't do it, C-U-A-U-H-T-L-A-T-O-A-T-Z-I-N. If somebody knows that, please call in during the second half hour. But among these families was Juan Diego, who changed his native name um, to Juan Diego when he was baptized, whatever the name was prior to the baptism, um, he changed his native name, native name to Juan Diego when he was baptized along with his wife, Maria Lucia. They also received the sacrament of marriage. Juan Diego was born in 1474. He was a, I'm not going to, Maceual, M-A-C-E-H-U-A-L Indian, that is of low social class, only above the slaves. After the death of his wife in 1529, Juan Diego turned his life to God, attending mass and catechism lessons at a Franciscan church in uh, Tlateloco, T-L-A-T-E-L-O-L-C-O. He lived with his uncle Juan Bernardino, an elderly man. It was in this key context that the Virgin Mary chose Juan Diego as her messenger thus changing the historical course of a land that was starting a new era. The first religious congregations that arrived to the new Spain to convert the people, among them the Franciscans, were slowly introducing baptism, evangelizing natives, and even fighting for their dignity to be recognized. The Franciscans were concerned with educating the indigenous They believed that no one could convert them in a more effective way, and they saw them as future Christians and priests. The morning of Saturday, December 9th, 1531, something happened that turned the faith of both the Aztecs and the Spaniards around. Juan Diego was on his way to the Franciscan Missionaries Church in Tlatloco, T-L-A-T-E-L-O-L-C-O, from his home in Tulpetlac, when the unexpected happened. At dawn, as he passed a hill named Tepiac, he suddenly heard songbirds burst into harmony. Then a sweet voice called him by name in Nahult, N-A-H-U-A-L-T, his native language. Juanito, my dear Juan Diego, He followed the sweet voice, and then he saw a glowing figure on the hill. After after identifying herself, she asked him to go to the bishop 
and requests the the construction of a shrine in that same spot in order for her to show and share her love and compassion with all those who believe. And these were Our Lady's words, quote, Know and understand well, you the most humble of my sons, that I am the Virgin Holy Mary, Mother of the true God, for whom we live, of the Creator of all things, Lord of heaven and earth. I wish that a temple be erected here quickly, so I may therein exhibit and give all my love, compassion, help, and protection, end quote. Juan Diego immediately went to see Bishop Juan de Zumarraga to deliver the message from the Lady from Heaven. However, after hearing what happened at the Hill, the bishop was skeptical and politely invited Juan Diego to come back another day. Dismayed, Juan Diego returned to the Tepeyac Hill where Our Lady was and asked her to choose another um, and this was December 9th now, asked Our Lady to choose another noble messenger, someone more suitable to deliver her message and whom the bishop would believe. Once again, the Virgin reaffirmed his mission and ordered him to go back to the bishop and insist on the next day. Listen, my son, she said, be sure that I have many servants and messengers to whom I must entrust the delivery of my message and carry my wish, but it is of precise detail that you yourself solicit and assist, and that through your mediation my wish be completed, my wish be complied. I earnestly implore my son the least, and with sternness I command that you again go tomorrow and see the bishop. Now this is December 10th. After delivering the message a second time, the bishop did not believe Juan Diego, and ordered him to ask for a sign from the lady. Juan Diego met the Virgin again at the top of the Tepeyac. After hearing his response, the Virgin asked him to return the following morning for a sign that he would take to the bishop. Quote, well and good, my little dear, you will return here tomorrow, so you may take to the bishop the sign he has requested. With this he will believe you, and in this regard... He will not doubt you, nor will he be suspicious of you, end quote. When Juan Diego returned home, he found his uncle Juan Bernardino gravely ill. And the next day, instead of going back to the Tepeyac, Juan Diego stayed home with his dying uncle. On Tuesday morning, which now would be December 12th, given the seriousness of his uncle's health, Juan Diego went looking for a priest so that his uncle might receive the last rites. And instead of taking the usual route, he went around the hill to avoid the virgin. But she descended from the hill and comforted him. And I'll tell you her words, which many of you already know, when we return from the break, beloved. And after the second break, we'll have a half hour for your calls and your events with anything on your heart, the toll-free number, one 511 5483 or email at mother at the
Hello, beloved. This is Mother Miriam. Many of you are familiar with Mother Miriam Live, but I wonder if you have listened to some of the other programs from the Station of the Cross, such as The Catholic Current. Father Robert McTagg discusses important topics in the church and in the world each weekday at 5 p.m. Eastern. You can listen anytime to The Catholic Current as a podcast on the iCatholic Radio mobile app. Please join us in a prayer to St. Anthony of Padua. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. O dear protector, St. Anthony, on this day we direct our fervent prayer to you, asking you to hear us and to intercede for us. We are parents who ask for peace in our families, our worthy occupations, and our daily bread. We are children who ask for divine assistance and protection in the hope of a successful and happy future. We are the needy poor, the afflicted, and sinners who come to you for help and grace. Therefore, speak on our behalf to that child whom you hold in your arms, and we are sure of being heard. Amen. sermon you need to share with a loved one? Maybe there's a guest, prayer, or teaching segment that deserves another listen. You can listen to any of our network-produced programs at your convenience by finding us wherever you enjoy podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Podbean, and the free iCatholic Radio app. Be uplifted in your faith. Listen today at thestationofthecross.com or on your favorite podcasting platform. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. I'm live and I'm she and I'm thrilled to be with you. This is the Feast of Our Lady of Guadalupe, and I mentioned earlier in the program, she is the lady of our religious community. And um, one day I may tell the full story publicly, but um, we didn't choose her. Uh, she moved in, and I had uh, I have no option. Uh, I have no say. She's Our Lady, because she moved in. That's the story. Um, and today is her feast day. And so um, we began reading the story earlier, that um, she appeared, the Spaniards came to the Aztecs and began to teach them and convert them, and Juan Diego um, became a Christian with his family, and one day as he was walking, um, uh, hold on a moment, okay, thank you so much, Go ahead. Okay. thank you, honey. Um, uh, a lady appeared to him, uh, the Virgin of Guadalupe, and she introduced herself, that she was the... Um, the true mother of God, and asked him, Juan Diego, to go to the bishop, Zumarraga, and build a temple, uh, and the bishop didn't believe Juan Diego, and so he went back to the lady, and he said, you need to send someone a little more impressive than me, he won't believe me, and the lady said, no, I want you to go back, so he went back the next day, December 10th, and um, um, the bishop still didn't believe him, 
And he said, let the lady show me a miracle. So Juan Diego again, uh, the next day, um, his, when he was going to come to Our Lady, um, his uncle got very ill, and so he went to get a priest instead of obeying Our Lady and um, so that the, uh, his uncle might receive the last rites. And so instead of taking the usual route, Juan Diego went around the hill to avoid the Virgin. But she descended from the hill, <laughs> and she caught him, and she comforted him, and she said this to him, quote, Am I not here who am your mother? Are you not under my shadow and protection? Am I not the fountain of your joy? Are you not in the fold of my mantle, in the cradle of my arms? Do not grieve nor be disturbed by anything. Do not be afflicted by the illness of your uncle, who will not die now of it. Be assured that he is now cured, end quote. She then sent Juan Diego to the top of the hill to cut roses that would be a sign for the bishop. Immediately, Juan Diego climbed the hill, and as he reached the summit, he was amazed that so many varieties of exquisite Castilian roses were blooming. He returned to Mary, and she said to him, My son the least, this diversity of roses is the proof and sign which you will take to the bishop. You will tell him in my name that he will see in them my wish and that he will have to comply with it. This is amazing because not only uh, did Castilian roses not grow in that area um, of Mexico, but the fact is it was winter. They wouldn't have grown at all. Juan Diego returned to Bishop Zumarraga's house to deliver the message and give him the sign he had requested. Um, <clears throat> which he had all the roses wrapped up in his tilma. When he finally managed to see the bishop, he said, Sir, I did what you ordered, to go forth and tell the lady from heaven, Holy Mary, precious mother of God, that you asked for a sign, so that you might believe me that you should build a temple where she asked it to be erected, end quote. Juan Diego then told him what he saw at the top of the hill when the Virgin sent him to cut the flowers at, as proof of his request. Quote, she had told me that I should bring them to you, and so I do it, so that you may see in them the sign which you asked of me and comply with her wish. Also, to make clear the veracity of my word and my message, behold, receive them. Oh, no, hold on. Oh, no. You know, this happens. This happens often. Oh, I'm so sorry. Hold on. The page just closed out. Hold on a moment. I shall get it back. I hope I'll get it back. Where did it go? Oh, dear. I know the rest of the story, but I don't want to tell it to you. I want to read it to you. Where are you, story? There's so many. If you look up the story of Our Lady of Guadalupe, you will see so many. Um, hold on now. I got it back. Okay. The miracle that changed history. Very good. Now let me just get our spot. I 
done this before. Okay, hold on. Now she is before the Juan Diego on his third try now, and it's December 12th, is before the bishop with the roses. And the, and the monks who brought him into the bishop wanted to see what he was in his tilma. But he said, no, Our Lady won't let me to show it to anyone but the bishop directly. And so um, he unfolded the white cloth, his tilma, before the bishop, where the roses were stored. Then the precious roses fell to the ground, and a sacred image of the Virgin Holy Mary appeared on the tilma. Seeing this, the bishop and everyone else in the room fell to their knees before the tilma. With sorrowful tears and sadness, the bishop prayed and begged for forgiveness for not believing from the beginning. After the Guadalupin miracle, Bishop Zumaraga immediately ordered the construction of a chapel where Juan Diego spent the rest of his days guarding the image of the venerated Queen of Heaven. Indigenous people came from all over to see the Mother of Heaven embodied on the tilba of an Indian like them. In 1622, the chapel was replaced by the first temple of the Virgin of Guadalupe, built in the same place where the apparitions took place. In 1709, the construction of the first Basilica of Guadalupe began, which functioned for several years, but its structure was affected by the construction of the neighboring convent of the Capuchins. In 17, in rather in 1976, a new and modern structure was built to meet the needs of the thousands of pilgrims who visit Our Lady of Guadalupe, Guadalupe daily. The original image of Our Lady of Guadalupe was transfer, transferred to what we now know as the Basilica of Our Lady of Guadalupe, where it remains to this day. It is des- its design was inspired by the miracle. It is the miracle, as the blue-green ceiling represents the Virgin's mantle, who has her children under her protection. Um, I tell you, um, oh my goodness, let me just see if I can... Um, That's the end of the story, but it's just the beginning. Um, here it is. Because if you haven't seen it um, or, you, or heard it, there's so many videos online, beloved, um, of the image of Our Lady of Guadalupe. So many um, of what it represents. It, it's truly, utterly, utterly miraculous. Let me Let me try to get a few things in before our next break. Her image is one of the most famous in the world, and I understand that our Lady, the Shrine of Our Lady of Guadalupe in Mexico uh, is uh, the most visited shrine in the world. It, uh, Nine million people a year, and they expect on the um, Feast of Our Lady today there'd be at least one million there. Um, the story of Our Lady of Guadalupe is a tale of motherly love, affection, and care for even the most humble of her children. Appearing four times to Juan Diego in 1531, near what is now Mexico City, the Blessed Mother asked, 
that a church be built on that site and miraculously healed his uncle Juan Bernardino, who was dangerously ill. She actually appeared to him. The climax of the story comes with the revelation of the Castilian roses to the bishop and the appearance of the Blessed Mother's image upon the tilma of Juan Diego, an incredible relic that remains whole to this day. It remains one of the most visited pilgrimage sites in the world. Despite being one of the most recognizable images on the planet, the symbolism of the image goes much deeper than meets the eye. In fact, the advancements of modern science allows experts to study the image in incredibly specialized ways. The tilma itself. Before, hold on now. Here it is. Before we get even to the image of Our Lady, the condition of the tilma, Juan Diego's cloak, is a miracle of itself. It's a type of cloak commonly worn by South American natives at the time. It was woven of agave fabric, meaning it should have naturally deteriorated within a few decades of being created. And yet, it's in perfect shape more than four centuries, since more than four centuries ago. Yet the tilma remains seemingly untouched by the passage of time, with the threads showing no sign of decay. Even malicious attacks on the tilma have proven fruitless. In 1921, during a buildup of anti-Christian sentiment in Mexico, a bomb attack destroyed the marble steps, blasted windows throughout the basilica, and famously bent the altar crucifix backwards into a dramatic angle now known as Santo Cristo del Atendado. Miraculously, the tilma itself was unharmed because Jesus, like a good son, protects his mother. The imagery on the tilma represents the triumph of Christ and Our Lady's call for love and unity between the new world and the old as the two civilizations began to coexist with each other. The image contains several references to the heathen gods of the Aztec religion and how Our Lady supersedes them. The rays behind her, you have to have an image of Our Lady of Guadalupe in front of you to follow this. Um, the rays behind her, an icon- iconic figure, feature of the image, actually represent the Aztec sun god, whom Our Lady eclipses by appearing in front of them. The moon below the Virgin's feet represents the Aztec moon god, the Aztec moon god of life and fertility, whom Our Lady has defeated, and also references Revelation 12.1, which describes the woman with the moon under her feet. Um, Oh, dear ones, there's so much more. Um, I'm reading now from a site called Catholic Coffee, Catholic Coffee, C-O-F-F-E-E dot com, and it'll give you the symbolism of Our Lady of Guadalupe. There's wonderful books you can read as well. Um, it's a story you should know and, um, and give to your children from generation to generation. It's very beautiful. It's very powerful. It's the only image that heaven has drawn of Our Lady, the only image of Our Lady that is not man-made, not drawn by human hands. We'll be right back after the break. 
At the Station of the Cross, we understand that life circumstances can affect your giving options, whether by moving or by switching banks and credit card numbers. Please let us know if recent changes have been made to your payment information so that we can better serve you as you continue to bless us with your financial support. Update your information today at thestationofthecross.com or by calling 1-877-888-6279, extension 104. Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. Since you may not agree that the New Testament came to us through the oral tradition of the apostles, how do you believe it did come to us? So here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, a language aid. In Latin, the word tradition is a verb, not a noun. It's the act of handing over. Handing over what? Handing over the faith. You see, capital T tradition continues to answer the questions the Bible doesn't explicitly answer. For example, you've noticed that contraception or doctor-assisted suicide and many other crucial human topics are not laid out in the Bible. Secondly, analogous to baseball, the totality of baseball has been handed on to each generation. This is very different than just the small t tradition of saying not flipping the bat after hitting a home run. And thirdly, in case you're trying to rid church traditions to be non-traditional, just know that capital T tradition is what got you to Jesus. Drop kicking small religious traditions to be considered non-traditional is like the dog chasing his tail. His task is never fruitless and thoroughly silly. We hear all the time from listeners who discover the station by seeing a Tri-God bumper magnet in traffic. You can request a free bumper magnet and start evangelizing just by driving around town. Go to thestationofthecross.com and click on Promotional Material under the About tab. There you can request a magnet for your listening area. We even have one for the iCatholic Radio mobile app. Request yours today. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. I am live. We are live. I am she and you are he and she. I'm so happy to be with you. That was a silly sentence, wasn't it, James? Yes. <laughs> um, so call in with anything on your heart. I'm feeling a little slap happy today for some reason. I, I'm happy to be with you. Um, and the toll-free number, one eight seven seven five one one five four eight three, or email at mother at thestationofthecross.com. We have an email from Blanco. <clears throat> Who says, Mother, how do I talk to Protestant friends about the whole call no man your father issue they raise up in regards to priests? Well, I would ask those Protestant friends what they call the man who is married to your mother. Why do you call him? He's your father. Jesus said, call no man father. How dare you call him father? Apostle Paul in Scripture said, Am I not your father? I'm, I'm your father in the faith. We talk about um, uh, family as a mother, father, and children. Fathers in the faith. Abraham, our father. Um, the church fathers. Jesus is not saying don't use the term father. What he's saying is don't put any person in the place of God. 
don't put any, don't make any person more than they are. And that was a kind of a slap against the Pharisees um, who made of themselves more than they were. So don't kowtow to them, um, kowtow to them. But um, you can certainly call a, a man father because, I mean, you may call your father Papa, but he's your father. And so um, not an issue to not use that word. Just um, use it respectfully and don't put any man before God or in the place of God. Also, what is the easiest way to explain that we don't worship Mary like we do God? Actually, in old language, the word worship is made up of two words, worth and ship. And to uh, Timothy says, give um, uh, men of God uh, the honor due them. In other words, um, pay them, the mother of God, uh, all in authority in different levels, the, the worth-ship they are due. Um, we don't worship them in adoration. God alone is to be worshipped. And so um, I would ask also, Protestant friends, um, uh, if, if they say, why do you worship Mary? I would say, I'm, I'm, I, why would I? I don't know. Why would I worship Mary? I don't. Why do you think we do? Well, you pray to her. That's right. To pray, to pray is to talk. If I ask you to pray for me, um, if I ask you to assist me with something, I'm not worshiping you. Mary is the mediatrix of all men, and we can pray to her, and she takes our prayers to her son, who is the mediator between God and man. Beyond that, dear Blanco, go to catholic.com. They have one in their search box, Wonderful articles on Call No Man Father and um, uh, Catholics not worshiping Mary. Okay. We have an email from somebody who writes in anonymously and says, Hi, Mother Miriam. I, like yourself and many other Catholics, have considered Church Militant and Michael Voris to be solid Catholic sources. How should we respond to the ongoing controversy with Michael Voris? What will happen to church militant moving forward? Has your opinion of the apostolate changed at all now that this relatively ambiguous news has surfaced? Well, I think I can clearly say what Michael himself has said and church militant has said. There's nothing ambiguous about it. Michael Voris fell morally and uh, violated their moral code, those are their words, and uh, needed to be uh, exiled from the apostolate. So Michael himself said that. He's completely out of the apostolate. He has nothing to do with it anymore. And um, Church Militant has every intent of going on. Um, There are several things that were wrong during the years Michael was there. They've made this very public and they are working day and night to correct those things, um, to be accountable in every way, and to, um, uh, to have better programming than ever before. So they, uh, they've lost a number of their staff, but there's also a number of the staff still on board who are, gonna, who are working day and night to make the apostolate what it should be. And so um, 
it's not my opinion of the apostolate. It's it's the under, what their their mission is is good. It remains good. I think they're going to be better now uh, as they be get as they get more organized and more focused. I think they're going to be better than they ever were before. Even with Michael, he was a personality that carried it. Uh, I don't know that there's another personality uh, like Michael uh, to carry it, but there are very good, faithful, strong Catholics on board. So I would say um, simply pray for Michael because he's not in a good way. He's not in a good state. He's got to be in a tremendous pain over all this. And his public announcement, very humiliating. And I would say pray for Church Militant. I'm, I'm sure their donations have plummeted and people have turned from them. I would say don't turn from them. Continue to pray for them and let's uh, help them get back on their feet and um, be better and stronger than ever before. Um, we have an email from Barb. Barb says, hello, Mother. I'm so happy to have found you and look forward to each podcast. Thank you, Barb. Would you please explain what indulgences are and what is meant by a plenary and a partial indulgence? I've heard differing Catholic explanations on these. I understand one must be in a state of grace, yes, before receiving an indulgence, but I am confused if they apply to the individual or to the person they are praying for or both. Um, Thank you, Mother. You are included in my daily intentions, Barb. Um, an indulgence is an act of, of gift, giving, kindness, to be indulgent, to be forgiving, to be generous. And so when our Lord grants indulgences to us, we must be in a state of great ab- and forgiveness, absolutely. Um, but um, most people... Very few people on this earth go directly to heaven. Most people will go to heaven through purgatory. Again, purgatory is not a second chance. Apostle Paul says to the Philippians, Philippians 1.6, I am convinced of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ. And purgatory is an absolute gift of God's mercy to perfect what he's begun in us Um, Purgatory is for saved, forgiven sinners who die in a state of grace, but yet have temporal sin to atone for. It's very difficult for Protestants to understand that. I know, I was a Protestant for 18 years. Um, um, When we are forgiven, when we are born again, born from above, and original sin is taken from us and the grace of God is poured into us by the Holy Spirit, we are forgiven of the sin that separated us from God, that is original sin, and from all other sins we've committed. But from that point on, um, whatever sin we commit, we, if it's venial, yes, we're forgiven. We should go to, always go to confession. We only must go to confession if it's mortal. Otherwise, Mortal means dead, and it separates us from the grace of God. We are spiritually dead when we commit a mortal sin. And the only way to be reconciled to God is to go to a priest for forgiveness, unless you're in a foxhole and you're able to make an absolute perfect act of contrition, which is um, maybe 
you have to be in a foxhole to be able to do that. Um, so when I commit a sin, um, I will go and ask God for forgiveness, and I am forgiven. But I've used the example often of Johnny, who uh, he's, he's seven years old. You've told him not to play baseball in Mrs. Smith's backyard. And this day, Johnny goes with his friend, and he plays baseball, and the ball goes through Mrs. Smith's window. And you've raised Johnny uh, to be a fine young man, so he knocks on Miss, Mrs. Smith's door, and he said, Mrs. Smith, I'm so sorry. I shouldn't be pre- playing in your yard. I know that. And the baseball went through your window and broke it. I'm so sorry. And Mrs. Smith's so impressed with your little boy. She says, Johnny, thank you for telling me. I forgive you, and don't worry about it. I'll take care of the window. And little Johnny comes home and says, Mom, I was playing in Mrs. Smith's yard and broke her window. The ball went through. I didn't mean it. But I told Mrs. Smith that I was sorry, and she said, okay, okay. And you say, no, Johnny, uh, I'm glad that Mrs. Smith forgave you. Um, But if you're sincere, Johnny, you need to mow the lawn and take out the garbage and earn money to pay Mrs. Smith back for the window. You're forgiven the eternal effects of sin, which separates us from God, but the temporal effects of sin, the horizontal, what we cause one another by our sin, we need to atone for that, make expiation for that. We need to do that. And so following baptism, whether we're baptized at an hour old or um, 50 years old or 100 years old, Every sin we commit following baptism, we need to make atonement for. We need to do penance, which is why when we go to confession, the priest gives us penance. I went to confession this morning, and I had a penance, and I I said my penance. I prayed my penance. And if I didn't, then would I die in a state of grace? I would, please God. But... If I didn't take care of the penance, I would go, when I die, a saved, forgiven sinner, I would go to purgatory where God gives me that chance to pay that penance, which I refused or didn't do for one reason or another on earth. And so purgatory is a place for us to expiate the sins that we sinned against one another, not against God, which Jesus took care of on the cross, but that we sin against one another. We need to expiate. We need to atone for those sins. And so that's what indulgences are for, Barb. Um, They're only for saved, forgiven sinners um, if uh, partial is partial. So if somebody would be in purgatory for five years, forget time, I don't know that, they're actually outside of time in purgatory. Um, And so um, um, then if they had a partial uh, indulgence, maybe they'd only be in purgatory two and a half years instead of five. If they have a plenary, 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 P-L-E-N-A-R-Y, that means full, total. If If they received a plenary indulgence, then they're completely free and go straight to to heaven um, and out of purgatory. So I hope that helps. It's an indulgence, uh, which is a a grace from God, indulging uh, by giving us a tremendous gift. Um, 
someone is sentenced uh, to, he commits a crime and he's sentenced to 20 years in jail. And the judge says, you know what? I'm going to give you six months in jail and then uh, the rest of the time for community service or something. That'd be a huge indulgence. And the, and the criminal receiving such a great um, kindness from God would be very, very grateful. So that's the same thing. Our indulgences help us or those in purgatory to get out of purgatory or at least have their time shortened. Okay. Uh, we'll be right back after the break, beloved, and um, have about 10 minutes. Our lines are open. You're still welcome to call in with anything on your heart, toll-free, 1-877-511-5483, or email at mother at thestationofthecross.com. We'll be right back. Station of the Cross Catholic Media Network is dedicated to answering the critical need of access to quality, consistent, professional, and proven Catholic programming. We cannot rely on other media outlets to properly represent our church. Catholic Radio reaches Catholics, non-Catholic Christians, and non-believers alike. As a nonprofit lay organization financially independent of your diocese, our apostolate is listener-supported. Here at the Station of the Cross, we proudly bring the truths of the Catholic faith to countless listeners through radio and mobile devices, and we're grateful for the feedback we've received. I'm a widower, parent of three almost adults, and listen to you guys around the clock. Father McTigg, Society of Jesus, he's wonderful. Mother Miriam, of course, the Divine Office, and many other great things that the Station of the Cross does. So thanks very much for your great work. I had a friend at work email me and tell me about the Station of the Cross a couple months after it started, and I was so excited. I tuned into it, and I found that I love the Catholic Station. If you've been blessed, by listening to the Station of the Cross, let us know. Call 1-877-888-6279, extension 112. Then share your testimonial with us. What you're offering and giving to me, you deserve to get back because you're offering more than I can give. I learned so much through the station on the cross. I listen to the radio station daily, and I absolutely love it. I was attending the chapel and places like that, and through your programs, I was able to find out how other Protestants had come back into the Catholic Church. God bless the station of the cross. Donate today at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. This is our last segment, about 10 minutes. You're welcome to call in with anything on your heart, toll-free, 1-877-511-5483, or email at motheratthestationofthecross.com. We have Cheryl from Boston on the line. Are you there, Cheryl? Yes, I'm here. Thank you. Hi, sweetheart. Go ahead. 
It's a pleasure talking to you. Um, I just had a couple of quick questions. Well, they might sure. be quick, hopefully. <laughs> My sister um, believes or feels that she doesn't have to go to confession and confess to a priest, that she can just ask for forgiveness to God wherever she is, you know, in her house or wherever, when she says her prayers. So she doesn't think she needs to confess to a priest. And she also feels that um, it or thinks it doesn't say in the Bible anywhere that she needs to go to church every Sunday or church on Sundays at all. So those are the main two things. I kind of just wanted to maybe explain to her, you know, and see what you thought I should kind of explain to her in simple terms. <laughs> Does she consider herself Catholic? Yes. Tell her she's in great danger of hellfire. If she was ignorant of Catholicism and didn't consider herself Catholic and doing her own thing, that's another matter. It's not good, but it's another matter. If she considers herself Catholic, she's acting like a Protestant, not Catholic. Um, and even as a Protestant, they believe the Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, chapter 9 or chapter 7 says, don't forsake the fellowship of yourself together. And 1 Corinthians chapter 16, everyone met on the first day of the week, which was Sunday. So, um, And they broke bread. They had the Eucharist on Sunday. So it is in the Bible. But I would say to your sister, if you consider yourself a Catholic, you are in grave, grave sin and in danger of hell. If you do not repent and go to confession and return to Mass. Because the church says... Um, not Protestantism, not Protestantism, but the church says that we must be in Mass on Sunday. It is a mortal sin to miss Mass on Sunday unless there's a very dire reason for that. And if you have not been to Mass on Sunday, you're in mortal sin and you must not receive the Eucharist until you go to confession. And so I would show these things from the Catechism, Cheryl, and I would say you're in very, you, you can't, do your own you can do your own thing but your own thing will wind you up at the moment you're on your way to hell because you claim to be a catholic and you are turning from god you could care less about his church you could care less about his teaching you're doing your own thing which has nothing to do with catholicism we are a family god is our father he's given us commandments and we need to live by them just confessing to God in her prayers, her sins, isn't enough. She needs to, obviously, which I feel, see a priest about that. Well, the church doesn't, if the, if the sins are venial and she confesses to God, that's fine. She's missing out. To go to a priest, um, you, 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 in addition to having venial sins forgiven, you are given a penance. And if you do that penance, that keeps you from purgatory. If not, you're just doing your own thing and you do not do penance, do not make sacrifices for your failings, for your faults, for your sins. You're going to spend uh, forever in purgatory. So to begin with, also, if you, um, if you miss Mass on one Sunday, you may not receive the Eucharist until you've gone to confession. And so the church is very strong with these things. You can confess on your own. You're missing out if you don't have the guidance of a, of a confessor. But uh, you must not go, you must not receive the Holy Eucharist if you have not been to confession. 
uh, on a Sunday. You, you may, if, if you have not been to Mass on a Sunday, you must not receive Holy Communion until you've been to confession um, with a priest because then you will have committed mortal sin and only a priest uh, can reconcile you. And I would say to her, you think and talk like a fallen away Protestant, not a fallen away Catholic. You're not even respect, as respectful of God as Protestants are, who at least are in church every Sunday. They don't believe in the Eucharist. And I'd say to her, um, you're in very, very dangerous spot right now. You either need to turn from God and acknowledge that you're denying him and you're creating a God of your own making, or you need to confess and do penance and bring your life back to God. I'll pray for her. <laughs> well, show Thank it to her. her. Show it to her. If it's just you, she's your sister, so you have a relationship, and she probably won't take all this from you. You need to show it to her from the catechism. Thank you, Mother Miriam. Are you not going to do that? Oh, I will do that. I'll do that. You sure? Okay. Yes. All right. Okay. <laughs> you said, Mother Miriam told me to tell you this. Okay. All right, Cheryl. God bless you, Thank sweetheart. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you. You. <laughs> you too. Bye. We have an email from Tove who says, Hi, Mother. There are very limited opportunities where I live. There are very limited opportunities where I live for me to attend adoration at my local church. So today I did a holy hour at home in front of my TV while watching live adoration on YouTube. When you go to YouTube and type in live adoration, a number of choices will pop up. So a person can select whichever one they like. I have a favorite, so I generally choose the same one each time. The one that I like the best happens to be in the UK, and when I click on it, I can automatically see how many other people around the world are adoring our Lord on this particular channel at the same time as me, which I kind of like to see. Anyhow, my question is this. What are your thoughts about me kneeling before our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament, praying and adoring him, when I am technically... Um, hold on. When I'm technically not right in front of him, but miles away, I realize that it's not the same as if I would be there in person. But when it's not possible for, be, for me to be at adoration in person due to the limited opportunities in my geographical area, is this okay for me to do instead? Do you think that Jesus would be okay with this? I look forward to your thoughts, Mother. And thank you for always giving us such wonderful advice. God bless you. Yes, I do believe it's okay. However, keep this in mind. If you are head over heels in love with a, a man, and I, I don't know who, who, did, who wrote this, uh, Tove, T-O-V-E, I don't know if you're a man or a woman. Um, so I'll just say if you're head over heels with somebody, a man or a woman, and you, you want to see them, and you miss them, and you want to be in their presence, and they say, you know, rather than making the trip, why don't we just Zoom? Well, you can Zoom. You can do that. You can watch each other uh, electronically, but you can't hug each other. And it's a lot less personal to truly love someone. You want to touch them. You want to be in their presence. So I would say, from Jesus' point of view, um, adoring him 
online, on a TV channel, if you cannot get to adoration, is a good thing. But if you can get to adoration, even with a little inconvenience, I think our Lord would love that you're there in person. I think he would love that, that you made the effort uh, to go there in person. I think I once told the story of a man named Johnny. He would stop by a church every day on his way home from work, just go into the end, genuflect, say, hi, Lord, it's Johnny, stay for five minutes and leave. And one day when Johnny was older, he did this every day, he was in the hospital and he was in bad shape. And over the loudspeaker came a voice that said, hi, Johnny, it's Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? I, didn't, I was told the story, but I think it's true. So as much as we can adore him, in person is wonderful. And if not, blessed be God that we have electronics to be able to at least look at him through the screen. God bless all of you. We'll be with you tomorrow.